What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's a new year, and I have a new podcast here at The Ringer, Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy, Pasha Hagigi. Austin and I go way back and talk so much hoop already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on all of these conversations. Every week, Pasha and I will hit on the biggest stories happening in the league and get Austin's perspective of someone currently hooping in the NBA. Tap into Off Guard every Friday on The Ringer NBA show feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Monday night, 17-13, we'll touch on that game, and of course, we will go around the NFL with our takes from week five. Benjamin, how are we doing? Oh, chill. What a fun week. What a fun week for contenders losing and, and learning things and knowing stuff. I feel like I have so many. I feel, like I, I feel like I know many great things. I feel ready to predict the rest of the season successfully. Wow. All right. Well, I'm, I'm looking That's forward to it. That's big talk. I no longer yeah. feel that way. When yeah. it was coming out of my mouth, I didn't like it as much anymore. <laughs> you didn't say it with conviction. All right. Let's start with this Monday night game. Uh, my take is on the Packers. I know everyone was begging for, you know, not everyone. There were people uh, on social media channels who were saying, Sheil, I know you said you were going to swear off. You were one of them, Ben, yep. uh, who, who were saying, I know you swore off, you know, your Josh McDaniel stuff before because it's gotten boring. But please give us up. I'm not Listen, you all saw, I mean, in-game management may be the worst coach uh, in the NFL. But I don't want to rain on the Raiders fans parade. You know, you got a victory. So you should enjoy that. My take is on the Packers. Uh, I think this Packers offense is stuck right now, and I don't think there's a real fix, like a real short-term fix. Uh, Watching that game, I mean, they have 10 drives in that game against a bad defense, a banged-up defense, and they managed just one touchdown. And even on that drive, it was A.J. Dillon, A.J. Dillon, A.J. Dillon. Okay, how about another A.J. Dillon? A.J. Dillon, A.J. Dillon. Okay, seven. I think he, I don't know how many times he carried the ball. It was that short drive after the turnover. They scored a touchdown. That was their only touchdown of the game. The passing game, lacks a rhythm to 
put it lightly. I mean, I mean, right now, they'll scheme up some big plays, and I've been complimentary of Matt LaFleur before on this podcast, and I still believe that, but it feels like that's kind of all they have. There is no consistency to it. Jordan Love right now is completing 55 0.6% of his passes. Like yep. at first, my hypothesis, you, you probably do this in your process. You come up and you're like, you know what? I think it feels like a surprise every time the Packers complete a pass. I wonder how many passes Jordan Love has completed. <laughs> yeah. And then you go look it up and that's the number. And that's last among starters. Um, he, he ranks 30th in success rate. I mean, that's behind guys like Mac Jones and Bryce Young and Daniel Jones. And this is not me saying Jordan Love stinks. I actually don't think that's like the... We have a five-game sample here. That's not really uh, the take. It's just that they have so many young players at the skill positions. They have an inexperienced quarterback. They lost their left tackle for the season. And you kind of add it all up, and you get a game like we saw on Monday night where Christian Watson drops a nice deep ball. Uh, Romeo Dobbs, Luke Musgrave, they have drops. Uh, Matt LaFleur is getting frustrated uh, at the rookies as they come over to the sideline there. And so part of this is just, this is probably to be expected. You know, we, they they were the team of extra point taken coming into the season. They're doing okay. They're still in the mix. Uh, they're a competitive team. They're not like getting blown out uh, week in and week out. But I just think offensively, when you have so many young players like they do, the only real solution is to let them play, let them make their mistakes, let them learn from them. And then hopefully the product you get at some point, it could be week 10, it could be week 14, it could be next season. I don't know. Hopefully the things you thought you saw in these players come to fruition. So that's where I think the Packers are right now. That was kind of my big takeaway from that Monday night game. What do you think? Yeah, I think the the end of game sequence was such a young player sequence for the Packers, right? They get first and 10. They're they're pushing the ball. They're, they're holding on to that timeout, which... They they worked really hard to hold on to that timeout and then they didn't take it right before this sequence. And you're and you're you get the sense from from the floor's time management that he really feels like his young quarterback might put him in a spot where he needs this. Like he might take a sack, you know, he might make a throw over the middle of the field that he shouldn't. So you gotta hold on to this. So it, it feels like they're 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 a little bit urgent and they're trying to do the, the the fire drill stuff, not take the timeout. And you know, loves getting the call in at the line, but it's not as fast as other operations. You're like, go, 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 go. So they get the snap off first and ten. Throws it to Romeo Dubs on the sideline. Should be able to get to second and two right here. Dubs drops the ball, right? Second year receiver. He was a fourth round pick in large part because he struggles at times with catching the football. Otherwise, he's a nice little prospect. Uh, second and 10. All right, well, they, they, they get to the line. Snap the football. Luke Musgrave, rookie tight end over the middle. Uh, he goes to settle in a spot against zone coverage. Jordan Love goes to throw it to him. They're a little bit off from one another, so the throw's not on the numbers, it's off the numbers, and then it's another drop, right? But it's a little bit on the quarterback this time, and then also on the young tight end. All right, so we get to third and 10. Third and 10 drop back. We have Christian Watson. We have him on a one-on-one with Amik Robertson. He is seven inches taller than this corner. This is it. Like We we, we got the shot that we wanted. I, I put this play up on my Twitter. They got the same coverage on second and 10 on third and 10. So this was called for this. They wanted this look against this defense. Left tackle gets beat, right? There's a little, there's a little twist, a little game. It's left guard, really. And, and Jerry Tillery's kind of in Jordan Love's lap. You'd like to see your young quarterback stand in there and, 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 and uncork it, but he's a little uncomfortable, right? There's yeah. a little too much heat. So he, he climbs the pocket, he rolls out, and then he tries to make the throw that you can't make now because you rolled out. It's too late. Like they, they, We don't live in the same world we lived in two seconds ago. You have to find a different route or throw this ball differently. So he tries to throw a jump ball. And then Christian Watson, the young second-year receiver, who has to just win at the catch point. You have to get big. You are seven inches taller than this guy. You have to play bigger than this. Get the DPI, right? Even if you can't catch it, at least make him contact you. Put it on the refs. He doesn't do that. It's a pick. And you watch that sequence, and you just go, 
okay, if one of these players was old, if just a single one of them was right. a veteran, was a veteran guy, we're probably at least getting to a new series, and we and we can go from there. So that 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 series right there felt so sum, uh, summative for the Packers, right? It felt like such a microcosm of what they're dealing with offensively, where there's a lot of good stuff going on, like like on paper. But young players make the execution really challenging. Your margin for error is so, so, so slim. And you, you are, you've already set yourself behind because Love is a couple of, of young, rookie, boneheaded interceptions. It just it, it became too much to overcome. Yeah, that's that's well said with all the all those examples uh, from that last sequence. Exactly what I was thinking, and yeah, like like I said, I, I think the thing is, there's not it's not just going to be like okay, uh, a week or like you're going to see some flashes from young players. You're going to see some mistakes from young players. They will probably have weeks where they surprise, and weeks when they disappoint, and weeks when you're thinking, man, is this you know, do they actually have a bright future? Or do they not? Um, but overall, I just think that's kind of what they have to live with with the way they shaped this season, and I think that's fine. You know, for the most part, they didn't go into the season and say, Hey, we have to win the Super Bowl. Now it was, Hey, we're going to grow with a young core. Let's be well coached. Let's learn. Uh, let's grow together and let's see, see where, where we are at the end of the season. So, um, I think we're on the same page there. I did watch your video. Actually, uh, I enjoyed your video. You had a great Thank breakdown you. of that last play. I've been wanting to ask you this for weeks. Did you, were you, did you perform in like, were you like theater? Did you do stuff in no. high school? No, because I feel like you have a nice performative aspect no. to these videos where like, you know, I watch a lot of X's and O's videos and a lot of times, but you're like, you know, giving it to me like you're putting on a one man show, which I enjoy. It's I, a compliment. If you, you know, I don't want no, this to come across like I'm making, no, making no, fun I of you. No, I appreciate that. The reason why I'm, 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 I'm like, no, is because my brother was a, a, it was a performer in high school and a very talented oh. one. And so he was, he was very much the, the, the hand of the family still is if, if we ask him, shout out Nico. Um, and I, I, I was a little bit less so. That doesn't stop me from being a big cheese, though. I mean, come on, you're just you're just doing yeah. the thing. You're just it's having a you. good time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah there you go. Uh, it's those, you know, it's 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 fun to do those videos. And yeah, access and those videos are boring. So you gotta. It's the same thing as podcast. Yeah, podcast spice are it boring. up a little you gotta bit. Spice it up. I yeah, agree. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Rule number one: uh, be entertaining. What you're saying can be completely wrong and terrible. Just entertain the audience. That's all I want from my host as a consumer. All right, entertain us, Ben, with your first take. Now that the pressure's on, what do you got? Uh, yeah, uh, Vikings got to blow this sucker up. Right. I mean, like, I feel like that's it. Justin Jefferson is on IR. OK, we have reached yeah. what it was DEFCON for for Vikings fans entering the season. Like, listen, we know we're going to be a little uh, a little worse than we were last year. You know, maybe the uh, uh, regression, right? You're going to get some bad turnover luck. And they've really gotten like some terrible turnover luck. They're better than they seem. This fumble stuff is crazy. Uh, but as so long as we can keep the young man, Justin Jefferson, healthy and we can build around that passing game, build around Jefferson. We have a chance to be, you know, feisty in games. We have a chance to win some games. And then he's our he's our future, right? Last year, Kirk Cousins contract, but we'll be able to get a good quarterback in here, like on the veteran market, the trade market, or we go draft a guy because Jefferson will be able to help develop that dude. Jefferson will help entice that dude. Like this is what our our offensive philosophy right now, our our, our entire thrust offensively is Jefferson. Well, uh, Tom Palacero reporting today, Justin Jefferson on IR. He's out for at least the next four weeks. They're not really committing to like, Oh, uh, like it'll just be four weeks. We're just putting him there to be safe. Uh, there, there's this like, oh, he might respond to treatment. He might take different time, whatever. It's a hamstring injury, right? And here's the thing about hamstrings. You don't mess around with them. Uh, hammies are tough. Uh, it, you, uh, uh, it's a soft tissue injury. It's a quick twitch position. You have to be careful with that. So listen, that then that extends to more than just full. I mean, as an old man, I can tell oh, you, yeah? you don't mess it. You stretch the hammies every day. That's you get one of the elastic bands, or if you have a child, you have them. Sometimes they have fun just kind of pushing your foot, you know, sort of 
forward towards your face. You know what I'm saying? You're laying down. They enjoy that. So I would say everyone listening, not only Justin Jefferson, not only football players, take care of the hammies. All right. So I had to interrupt you there. It was too important. This is critical advice. Uh, (laughs) Next four games for the Vikings are at the Bears, home against the Niners, uh, at Packers, at Falcons. They're never beating the Niners. That wasn't happening. The other three games were games where the Vikings were going to be in those games, right? Like Bears, Packers, Falcons. Those are like Packers, Falcons are solid teams, but those are beatable teams. Without Jefferson, I don't know what this is going to look like. like I, they, they have certainly like TJ Hawkinson's a good pass catcher. They drafted Jordan Anderson in the first round. It's not like they're, they're nowhere, but we really like we this Jefferson's so integral to this passing offense that I'm not sure what it's going to look like. I, I wager it's not going to look great. In the event that the Vikings are a one-two win team throughout the course of October, then Kwesi Adolfimensa, which I always struggle to pronounce his name, I apologize, uh, has to, the general manager of the Vikings has to consider looking at uh, long-term trade options and, and acquiring draft capital to rebuild this team. When you look at the Vikings' current uh, team salary cap, right, and, and you go to find rookie contract players who give the who are like okay, building blocks of the future, right? Because Jefferson right now is on a rookie contract, so he's cheaper than, than obviously he produces. This is like a, a franchise cornerstone for you. Let me read through some of the non-Justin Jefferson names. You have uh, at receiver, KJ Osborne and Jordan Addison are both still rookie contracts. We don't know what Addison is. Osborne, we kind of know what he is. Uh, Christian Darisaw at left tackle, Ezra Cleveland at, at guard, and Garrett Bradbury at center. Darisaw is great, and then Cleveland and Bradbury are, are I think, generally positive players. So you kind of like that. Defensively, uh, DJ Wanham at edge, who's actually a good little player. Wanham's underrated. Ivan Pace, undrafted free agents, been starting for them at linebacker. And then in the secondary, a Caleb Evans, Makai Blackman, Josh Metellus, Cam Bynum. I like a Josh Metellus. He's had a nice start to the season. Other than that, like that that defensive list, especially, that's not guys where you're like, woo, here we go. Like that, that that's you yeah. have some some guys you can get on the field, but it's not really a, a list of impact players offensively you like your offensive linemen but again like outside of that where we're talking about impact players at the skill positions if jordan addison has a huge explosion with justin jefferson gone that's great but otherwise there are very few rookie contract building blocks on this team right now and Quessy has had the approach in his time as the 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 vikings general manager of like trading back in the first round right they moved out of the jameson williams pick to go to 32 overall and then they traded picks to go get tj hawkinson right he's he's kind of sold premium picks to move back and then has gone on to sell picks to go and acquire a veteran at the, at the trade deadline. They haven't really like sat at the top of drafts and made really high impact selections. And obviously it's a short term time frame. It's not like Quessy's not going to do that, but they just don't have those guys in the room just yet. Uh, Jefferson's injury, if that leaves this team, a, a, like I said, like a two win team, we get to the deadline with Kirk Cousins only having one year left on his contract. I think you obviously very seriously consider moving Kirk. And then you start to look at some of the other veterans on this roster and Daniel Hunter and Jordan Hicks, the linebacker, and Brian Neal, the right tackle. I wouldn't move Brian Neal. I love Brian Neal. Uh, but you start thinking about, okay, what can I do to make my future draft capital look a lot stronger? Because this team is about to make a change of quarterback. They're going to have to get younger at quarterback. And we have to find a way to build young for the future and kind of reset the, the time frame for this team. Yeah, I think when, as you were saying that, I was thinking, all right, well, who is he going to suggest that they trade? Because I don't think it's a very... Uh, it's very hard. Ta- yeah, it's not it's not the most talented roster. Even your offensive line assessment there, I would say you were being generous. I like the tackles. Uh, I think those interior offensive linemen, I mean, that has been an issue uh, for I the like Vikings. Ezra. I've always liked Ezra. Okay. Bradbury, no. Yeah, yeah. no. Yeah. Um, but 
Yeah, I think it's I think it's a good point. Now, right now, what's interesting, you know, you say Bill, like they're one in four right now. They have the second tied for the second worst record in the NFL as is. We've talked about cousins multiple times on this podcast. Is there a cousins to the Jets trade that could happen? Uh, we don't see these trades happen like at all in the NFL, an in-season quarterback trade where that guy goes to a new team and then starts playing. It's just uh, very rare if if not just non-existent. So that one's interesting to me. You know, if the um, if the Jets struggle this week, if Zach Wilson looks terrible and Kirk Cousins, like, do they revisit that type of thing? I certainly would uh, if I were the Jets, but at some point it's going to get a little late. I mean, if the Jets lose this week, they're going to be two and four. So what are you really doing there? So I think, like, is there another team that would trade for a Kirk Cousins in season? I'm trying to look at the standings right now and see who else would even think about trading for Kirk Cousins right now and it's really hard to even identify Falcons. a team. Okay. Falcons is that's which, an interesting which one. We're coming off of Desmond Ritter's best game by the way. All right. That's it's not right. one of my three takes, but I just need to get this out here real quick. <laughs> the, oh, I the, was hoping it was going to be one of your takes. The I moment say, you down, finally the moment you down. finally uncorked Desmond Ritter is bad. Ritter <laughs> heard the hate. Ritter's like a Baker Mayfield. He's like powered by the doubters. Immediately rips out a 300-yard performance against the Texans. Great Ritter game. Just an I still, FYI. I still feel good about the take. I think let, let's uh <laughs> let's give it some time. I think it'll be okay. Yeah, other yeah, Falcons is a good one. I mean, I really I'm I just went through like the entire uh, you know, unless a quarterback gets injured this week, it's really hard to find a team uh, that would want to trade for Kirk Cousins. Now, the other names you brought up are good ones. Daniil Hunter. Everyone can always use uh, some pass rush for sure. Jordan Hicks. Uh, yeah, uh, I think I think your boys there uh, in Philadelphia. That's something they would revisit. Hey, get Jordan Hicks back in Philadelphia here. Hicks, if, if, I, if I had to guess one who gets moved, they drafted Brian uh, Asamoa in the third round last year to Florida State to be a linebacker for them. And then he got beat out by Pace, the UDFA in camp this year. I think you still want to see what Asamoa is if you can get him on the field. And the way to get him on the field is to move off Hicks. Asamoa and Pace next to one another. Those two guys are like both 220 pounds. I don't know if Brian Flores, well, he might throw a hissy fit if they try to move Hicks. But he's got one year left, right? Um, it's mostly base salary that remains on his contract. He could be like a fine starter somewhere. If anybody gets moved, it's not Kirk. He's my guess. It's not a sexy thing, but he's a fine little player. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the Vikings really started this process in the offseason a little bit with not bringing, you know, Adam Thielen and Patrick Peterson. And they were, you know, uh, Eric Kendricks moving on from some of these veterans that had been there for a while. So I think they started this process. They were wise to not extend or do anything with Kirk Cousins contract beyond this season. So, yeah, I think they had a sense, you know, they're very different from the Giants, like the Giants sort of convinced themselves of what they were last season and thought, hey, this can last, let's build on it. And the Vikings looked at themselves very honestly uh, last what they did last season. And we're like, I don't know if that's like, all right, there was some flukiness to this with all the one score games. Let's not get too caught up and uh, kind of betray what we want to be in the future. So uh, yeah, I think I think it could be an interesting trade deadline. I think there's certainly a team to watch. Like I said, they're one and four. Uh, so they, you know, they, they could be in the mix for like a top five pick and, and to really get that, that would probably be the best thing for the franchise. Even if you're a Vikings fan, you're saying we don't want to throw away the rest of the season, but man, if they can get a top pick and now you have Jefferson, that guy, two offensive tackles, you trust like it could you know, we talk about young quarterbacks, what situations do they come into? Man, if you're a young quarterback, that's a great, that's a pretty good situation uh, to come into. So that's something else to keep in mind. I agree. Uh, yeah. I, I, if they end up with that top five pick, uh, you're, you're in a, you feel like you're in a great spot. The worry is that you end up with pick four 
and the guys at one and two are taking Caleb Williams and Drake May, and yeah. then you're there holding the bag on that, which is why I think, again, if I'm running the, the Vikings now, if I'm Kwesi, I want to add a little bit to my current capital. Like, they don't have a third of this year. They have two fourths because of the, the, the swap for the Hawkinson trade. I want to kind of try to load up my middle round capital so that I can be more adequately prepared to build move up packages whenever the draft order gets settled. Because if I, if I, right now watching this quarterback draft class just from afar, I'm worried about being the third guy to take a quarterback. I like Caleb Williams at USC a lot, obviously. He can play. I yeah. like Drake May at UNC quite a bit. A QB3 right now would, for me, would be like Bo Nix. And if you told 2021 Ben that 2023 Ben was going to say QB3 is Bo Nix, he would not respect 2023 Ben. Uh, and so I'm worried about this class being a little bit of a two horse race. And then there's like a huge glut of guys that are fighting for QB3. So that's what I'm working about. That's what I'm looking at as the GM. I'm saying I want to get ready to be able to move up for QB2 in the event that I get the sixth overall pick and not the second. Truth is, it might not end up mattering what you offer because these teams that are near the top of the draft, like you said, they don't want QB3 either. And they've been mm -hmm. waiting for a quarterback and they might say, no, thank you. We don't care what you offer. We want one of these two. But you never know. You could get lucky with a team moving up there uh, who actually has a quarterback that they like. And all of a sudden you can make a move. All right, let's take a break. Come back in a minute. Get to my second take. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. All right, welcome back to Extra Point Taken, my second take. Sunday was the end of the Bill Belichick era in New England. Whoa! Okay, I'm fine. I mean, did it did it not feel like that to you? Do you disagree? It felt like that to me. Like I don't I, like all right, go ahead. It 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 felt like it could be. I don't have the 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 cojones to say the sentence, to say the phrase. End of the Bel Belichick era in New England in any sort of recorded, publicized thing. That's a, like certainly was like like I went, I wrote about it in in the column and I was like if they move on from Belichick I'll get it and my editor Riley highlighted it and put like nine question marks on it. it was like what are you talking about and I was like I think I I would get it I would understand like I think it could happen I I'm sorry to say it but yes but that like I I couched it so carefully <laughs> you just drop it at the top it's listen heater. We just said we're in the entertainment business, you know, what Picture am I like going to say? Wheeler with the yeah. elevated fastball. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm not, listen, I'm not saying Bill Belichick's going to get fired in the next couple of weeks or even that it's going to, I'm just saying for all intents that there's not going to be any more successful football in New England with Bill Belichick as their head coach. <sighs> I, I feel strongly about that. Listen, coming into the season, you could at least tell yourself a story that, hey, Bill O'Brien's going to be an upgrade on Matt Patricia, that the defense is going to be really good. Yeah, all right, they're not going to win the Super Bowl, but maybe they're going to be a good competitive team that makes the playoffs. I didn't think that. I don't think you thought that. I think we talked about it um, on this podcast leading up to the season. Look at where they're at, Ben, after five games here. They have been outscored 72-3 to in the last two weeks. Only the Giants have a worse point differential than the New England Patriots. Their offense is somehow worse by every statistical measure 
than it was last year when Matt frickin' Patricia was their offensive coordinator. It's worse this year. They're averaging 10.6 points per game under Bill O'Brien. Here's one more stat for you. There have been 156 offensive performances in the NFL this season. You love the, these stats. You love them the, so much. The Patriots' last two games, in terms of EPA per drive, among 156, rank 154th and 155th. Two of the worst three offensive performances okay, in the so NFL. Okay, so what's 156? Uh, I would have to look that. I, you know what? I That's would have to look that up. I'll look it up in a minute. I wasn't ready. Uh, uh, Daniel Jones against the Cowboys. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think it was either the Giants or it could have even been that Bengals game in Week One against the Browns. I know I think, that was kind of. Uh, I think it was the Giants. It. I think it was Giants-Cowboys. But anyway, that, okay. that's okay. Yeah, On the extra point taken, I'll have it looked up by then. Uh, the Patriots have the fifth hardest remaining schedule. Like They're not coming back from this this season. Uh, their season is over. Mac Jones has regressed. They're a disaster on the offensive line. They have no talent at wide receiver. Their best defensive players are injured. They're not coming back from this this season. So now you look ahead and you say, all right, Shield, we'll settle down there, big fella. Hey, you just talked about the quarterback class. Maybe the Patriots will be so bad that they get a great draft pick and they're able to get Caleb Williams or Drake May with Bill Belichick. I mean, put yourself in Robert Kraft's shoes right now. You have seen what has happened with Matt Jones. You have seen what has happened with the personnel decisions on offense. Do you really want this version of Bill Belichick, again, has had a Hall of Fame all-time career, not taking any of that away from him, this version of Bill Belichick leading you into a new era with a rookie quarterback as you try to rebuild the franchise? I think the answer to that question is going to be no. I think it would be a point where you say, this is the time for a clean break. Even if you're able to draft a quarterback, let's move on. I don't know what it would be. I don't know if it would be a firing. I don't know if it would be a retirement. I don't know if it would be a mutual parting of ways. I don't know if it would be a trade. I think so like in our off season when we did like wild predictions, I was like, Bill Belichick will be coaching the Washington Commanders in 2024. Maybe that's still on the table. I don't know. I don't think Bill Belichick will coach another relevant, successful New England Patriots team. I think when you look at the decisions that have been made, both from a personnel perspective, from a coaching staff perspective, the way the team plays, this is not a smart team. For you know, 15 years, we talked about, oh, Belichick's teams would never do this. Patriots would never. Well, okay, it's looked a lot different, and it's not a small, small sample either. So I think a lot of times when you get to somebody like Belichick, you wait a year, you, you have the, the offseason where you think, maybe it's time to move on, and then you give them extra time because of all they've done for the franchise. That was like last year. This was the extra year that you gave him to figure it out, to add a new offensive coordinator. And it looks just as bad, if not worse, than it did last year. So uh, that felt sort of like a, a funeral to me for the Bill Belichick era New England Patriots on Sunday in their shutout loss to the Saints. Paint the other scenario. Tell me why I'm wrong. I am interested. So, okay. It's, it's not that you're wrong. Because I don't, I don't think you are. I think that you're right to say that this feels like the extra year, right? This feels like the, you know, we don't want to pull the rug out from under this guy because of how long he's been doing this, right? So we're going to give him like a long runway. So I don't disagree with that at all. Uh, you're right to say that like you can't feel super comfortable with the idea of giving Belichick a young quarterback because the last time he had a young quarterback, he really jerked it around the the, the development process, right? They went and like tried to get the the requisite uh, uh, 
pieces to develop the guy, right? You go and you sign Kendrick Bourne, you sign Nelson Aguilar, you sign Hunter Henry, you sign John New Smith and whatever. But I like that didn't work super well. And then he's messing around with offensive coordinator. So I thought it was a disaster. I, I, Did not yes. work super well. I mean, that was a disaster at the time. And the results are a disaster. Yes. Of that spending now, spree. I, I do have this opinion about Mac Jones and his development that I think is an important one to to present in the, in the argument of like Belichick's offensive shenanigans. Because the Matt Patricia Joe Judge thing was so inexplicable and weird and like verifiably dumb and egregious. And then because Mac Jones was immediately really, really, really bad, it's very easy for us to say Mac Jones was really, really bad because of this. Like we know that this was stupid. And then we know that Mac Jones ended up terrible. So it's like after it, therefore, because of it, this is what made Mac Jones bad. I am personally of the opinion that like Mac Jones would have just ended up bad in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different universes. And that we while the primary reason that his development halted was because of the offensive coordinator foolishness, we probably overweight just how much the offensive coordinator foolishness really did make him bad. I do think that like in a lot of non-Belichick, non-Brady scenarios where we have this like long history of unprecedented NFL dominance, and, and a guy who's, who's heralded and Hall of Fame coach and is never going to be uh, impeached one of the greatest coaches of all time. Coach drafts first round quarterback who's like actually QB five in his draft class. And then that guy ends up not being not very good. It's like not an uncommon thing. That's a pretty regular thing to happen. It's just like draft a guy not top 10, where typically when you're outside of the top 10, you're not that great of a prospect. And then he's bad. And then that makes your team bad. Like that happens all the time, man. Like that, like that it. I think that we probably overweight how much Belichick's offensive coordinator decisions affected Mac Jones. And accordingly, Belichick has like a straight bad quarterback and it's hard to win with that guy. So that I think is like a necessary caveat. I agree with that. But but by the way, yeah, I think teams should be encouraged to take swings on quarterbacks. And if you fail, that should not be a reason to like they didn't give up a lot. Like they didn't give up three first round picks. They took a swing on Mac Jones and it doesn't work out. That's fine to me. I would just add like that's part of it. That is not everything with sort of the belichick argument but go ahead continue that was your caveat the other thing i would say is that belichick's defense this year remains extremely well coached and successful like losing matt judan and christian gonzalez are like those are the two most indispensable players on this defense given how gonzalez played entering like in in the first three weeks of the season that totally blows uh and they've lost some of their heat relative to like the top Belichick defenses of Super Bowl seasons past. Uh, again, it's personnel issues. Like they just haven't done as good of a job cycling guys in. Like they went and signed Jalen Mills. They went and signed Devon Godshaw. Like these dudes were not the impact players that they needed to go in and snag. Belichick's not as successfully, not, he's just not like, oh no, he kind of is with JC Jackson. He is not as successfully doing the thing he did so often in the decades past where it's like, I draft a guy in the third round. I sign a guy for peanuts. He's really good here for three years. I let him go somewhere else. He's terrible. Like they kind of, they've lost, they, they certainly have lost some of that. And they've had coaching drain on that side of the ball the same way they've had on the offensive side of the ball. But generally like Belichick's defenses remain very good. Like I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that if Belichick were fired by the Patriots tomorrow, all 31 teams would try to find a way to get him on their staff right away. Not necessarily all of them as head coaches, but certainly all of them on the defensive side of the ball. Because in an NFL where like two and a half dudes maybe have solutions to like elite quarterbacks, Belichick is one of the guys, right? And so Belichick is still doing the thing that that really buttered his bread for many, many seasons. He's still doing that. And so to me, like the 
Bill Belichick good coach conversation tends to really hop, skip, and jump over like this the thing that we always measure like Kyle Shanahan on, which is like, all right, Shanahan always struggles with personnel stuff, right? Like he's constantly just like making picks in the middle rounds that make no sense, and he's alienating his own players and throwing guys in the doghouse. Um, and he has this like bad relationship with his quarterbacks and whatever. But the one thing that butters Shanahan's bread is like I make my side of the ball, this offensive system work really, really, really well. And that's the thing that Belichick is still doing. And we kind of tend to jump over that because it's the defensive side of the ball. It's not as valued. And where Shanahan has done a great job hiring on the other side of the ball, he's hired great defensive coordinators, D'Amico Ryans, Robert Sala, Steve Wilkes. Belichick's really dropped the ball in that regard. And so, like, I understand why we, we tend to hop over it, but it still deserves to be said, like, Belichick's defensive system is still great. Yeah, I, I would say it's not nearly at the level of a Shanahan who is here, give me the pieces and this will be an elite unit. I think they're good. Uh, obviously they've had some injuries. Uh, I don't necessarily agree that he will always have the answers against uh, elite quarterbacks. Like they've done some, like that, that Dolphins Patriots game. All right. The Dolphins didn't score a lot of points. I didn't watch that thinking, man, you know, he laid the blueprint to how to shut down the Dolphins. I mean, the, you know, the Cowboys a couple weeks ago had what, 377 yards and moved the football pretty well against the Patriots when they had to. Again, that that's not their problem. So I would agree if the thing is, hey, he's still a good defensive coach. I would agree with that. I would also say that's like the least important thing of being, an NFL head coach in the year 2023 if I'm making a list of things I want that barely even registers yeah but it's also Bel like again like I like I hear you but again there's like four dudes maybe Lou Belichick Fangio like four years ago don't even know if he still got it at this point <laughs> that like regularly take the the wind out of the sails of the elite quarterbacks like all right I I, I, I disagree I, the I, level there but that's fine it's it's Belich like uh, I I think it's really hard to argue that Belichick's defenses are like he's lost the fastball there and and if we want to argue that he's lost the fastball in all the other spots then that's a legitimate argument I tend to believe that a lot of that is more noise than it is anything else but uh, not more noise than it is anything else I tend to believe noise is a larger part of that than other people do right like I think Belichick's we look on Belichick's uh, uh, past few years a lot differently if just like Hunter had like Johnny Smith and like just totally was like a zero, right? We look on it a lot differently if like you know the drafting of Taekwon Thornton works out. Like there's a couple of breaks that well, go hold in a different on, direction. but Johnu Smith is a great example. I mean, he made him a 13 and a half million dollar tight end, this wild tight end contract. They couldn't do anything with him in their scheme. He leaves and not that he's an all pro, but he is a part of a function, a good part of a functioning Falcons offense right now. Like Belichick not only chose the player, but had a vision for how to implement the player into the scheme, couldn't work, and then had to move on from him after having paid him a lot of money. Like, I don't know how that's a, th how does he get a pass on that? It, it's not that he gets a pass. It's that like, I, I think that Belichick's like 0 for 6 right now on offensive weapon acquisition, right? With Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar, Hunter Henry, John U. Smith, Taekwon Thornton. If he were just like 2 for 6, I, I think we'd talk about it a lot differently. I think that noise plays a bigger part in like the referendum on Belichick's like offensive personnel decisions and his offensive coaching staff moves than we want it to be. Like Again, like we want it to be like a very clear, logical progression for like Belichick did X, Y, and Z, and that's what ruined the offense, and that's why he's bad. And I think it's Belichick did X, Y, and Z, and then confounding variables A, B, C, D, E, F, and G came in, and now the offense is really bad. I think that you run the simulation of the 2021, 2022, 2023 Patriots 10,000 times, they end up halfway decent in a larger percentage of times than we're willing to, to talk about at this point. But that didn't happen, right? If only St. Just for Candies and Nuts. They didn't. 
as just to say that if Belichick goes and becomes the head coach of the commanders tomorrow, I'm not going to assume that he's going to totally nuke their, their personnel and be like, oh, he's going to only sign bad receivers and only draft bad quarterbacks. I think that he's going to roll some dice again. I think sometimes he's going to get a friendlier roll of the dice next time. I think we uh, I think we definitely disagree there because I, I think we have a large sample now. They're what three games under 500 in uh, since Tom Brady left. Uh, you know, and you look at all the again. He's made it, it's to me it's a clear cut evaluation because he's choosing the most important thing for a head coach. You know, there's the culture, leadership, and then there's the who are you hiring on your staff? Who, as we've talked about, can do more with less and. That aspect of it has been a disaster for him on the offensive side of the ball. In addition to he is the head personnel guy uh, picking all the groceries, as we say. So we'll see. I mean, that's the really the only reason. He needs a real they, GM. I think that's the most important thing. It's like if Belgium's yeah, going to be head is, coach is round he going to be willing to do GM. that? Is he going to be willing to do that at this you know stage of his well, career? It, it, it's not like he needs, you know, like, you know, I'll throw him with like a Howie Roseman, who's like a tyrant over his own team. Like he needs a Nick Casario. Like he needs a guy who can like actually... He, who he respects, who's actually could make some personnel shots. Like, like, like we're going to go get this guy because these are our, our parameters, whatever. He needs an Ernie Adams, too. Again, I'm I'm at all times willing to put, say we should put Ernie Adams in the hall over Bill Belichick. He was the real magic. <laughs> all right. What do you have for your next take? Dallas Cowboys fans. This was a very embarrassing loss. The sky is not falling. We're going to be, you're going to, you're, you're, you're going to be okay. Uh, 42 to 10 sucks. If they start, the Cowboys start the season losing to the Arizona Cardinals and getting blown out by over four touchdowns to the 49ers fans, I think no matter what, Dallas Cowboys faithful was going to have like a big visceral reaction to that. And, and understandably so. Those are two of the worst losses you can start the season with. Cardinals super embarrassing because of obvious. And then 49ers because they've not yet the playoffs the last two years. The good news is that like when you go back and you look at like teams that have won the Super Bowl, guess what? They lose some games in October sometimes, right? The Chiefs lost to the Colts 20 to 17 in October. The 2021 Rams lost by 17 points to the Cardinals in October two seasons ago. The Bucks got blown out by the Saints in November 38 to 3. They also lost to the Justin Fields Matt Nagy Bears in October in the season they won the Super Bowl. Like we we tend to think once a team gets washed by a contender early in the season, it means like they're never going to be able to hit that level again. They certainly can. Like I I bring up those examples to say you can lose games in October and still go the distance. Now, one of the reasons why it is beneficial to play these contending games in October and sometimes even lose these contending games in October is because it emphasizes to you maybe some of the things that you need to do differently in order to be a better football team. Uh, I'm going to crib here from uh, Stephen Ruiz, who wrote our uh, uh, wrote, wrote a piece on the NFC contenders coming off of the Sunday games. Uh, when you go to look at the performance of Dak Prescott this season, you say, all right, like, you know, a big goal for him was that interceptions would be down this year. Interceptions are down. The problem is everything else is down, right? Uh, uh, Prescott has become just a little bit more of a, uh, a muted passer in general. Yards per dropback is down. EPA per dropback is down. Success rate is down. ADOT is down. So, okay, fewer interceptions, but fewer explosives. And that's one of the reasons why the interception conversation is always dumb, right? Like, oh, he threw the most interceptions in the league. Yeah, because he was doing stuff, right? Like, interceptions are one of the costs of playing quarterback. If you're going to be aggressive, throw the ball downfield, try to hit explosives, you're more likely to throw a pick. When Steven goes to, to break down, like, all right, well, what's, what's particularly taking the wind out of this offensive sales? It's interesting. From a, 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 an EPA per dropback perspective, on non-play action dropbacks, when Dak just sits back there, is reading a defense and ripping it, he's exactly the same that he was last year. 0.09, 0.09. On play action dropbacks, which this was one of the areas in which Kellen Moore was really, really productive for the Cowboys, he's got from 0.08 to negative 0.23. 
a lot of the designed shot play juice of the Cowboys offense has been lost. Dak right now, one of the worst passes in the league, throwing 20 plus yards down the field. Also one of the least frequent passes in the league, throwing 20 plus yards down the field. This team acquired Brandon Cooks and has run zero Brandon Cooks plays. Yeah. Just then Brandon Cooks is good at like one thing and they're doing not that thing, which is a very, very frustrating thing. And again, like the Kellen Moore absence is really felt in that regard because one of the things that Moore was really good at was getting Michael Gallup where he works best, Amari Cooper where he works best, and CeeDee Lamb where he works best. Now let's talk about CeeDee Lamb. I understand why CeeDee is frustrated. CeeDee had four catches on the day. Tony Pollard had four catches on the day. And the 49ers defense had three catches on the day. You never like when you only have one more catch than the opposing defense. It's not a fun performance. McCarthy actually, I thought, gave a really good line here where he said, if he were not pissed about that performance, I'd be pissed at him, right? That's that, again, like, this is kind of how you want star receivers to behave. You want star receivers to be demanding the ball. You want star receivers to be frustrated when the offense isn't going their way. And so I thought that was actually a good line from McCarthy. It remains to be seen, though, if McCarthy is capable of solving that problem in the way that Kellen Moore used to. Move him into the slot. Get him designed throws. Get him on, on double move stuff. They're not, they're, they're using CD right now as a, a, a cog in a scheme, right? Like, they'll run a three-receiver set and, and they'll, they'll run a common concept, and he'll be one of the routes. He, he, Prescott might get to him in the concept if the progression goes as such and if the coverage is as such, but it's not guaranteed that like CD's even like a thought for him because just structurally, he might just be removed by the defense. When you have a player like CD, you have to be willing to call just the CD lamb play, right? This is what the Eagles do with AJ Brown. The, the Dolphins do with, Ty, with, with Tyreek Hill. You see the Bears do it with DJ Moore the last two weeks. Like this is not a hard thing. You just call the play for the guy. That's something McCarthy generally hates doing. Uh, if you go back and you look at his Packers days, right? They're, they're pretty poor at just calling the play for the guy. So these are the changes they have to make in the passing offense. I was going to say, I'm waiting to get to the point where Cowboys fans should not panic here. Right. These are the changes, <laughs> these are the changes you have to make in the passing offense. Will you? If you do, you're going to be fine. And you should expect a veteran head coach to see this pretty clearly and be willing to go for it. If you don't, it's very obvious what should happen. You need a new offensive system. You have to move on from the head coach. I, I don't understand. <laughs> this, sounds, this sounds like panic to me, Ben. You said, Moore, you said they need to make changes that Mike McCarthy typically has not made. And if he doesn't make them, they have to move on from a head coach coming off a game in which they got the doors blown off against the team that has beat them in the playoffs chill. two years in a row. And chill. now they're at this big deficit in the NFC East where they might have to win two games on the road. Even if, they, if they're in the playoffs, they might have to go at San Fran, at Philadelphia to get to where they want to go because this was a season in which they said we need to raise our expectations because we haven't been past the divisional round in 27 years. Sorry, I had to chill. get that in there. <laughs> okay, go ahead. You took a sip. Go ahead. Here's... You, here's here's what here's the kicker, okay? okay? And McCarthy makes the changes. The Cowboys are going to be fine, and that's good. What news. is fine though? Define fine. I think defensively, they're going to continue to be one of the top five, top six units in the league. I, I know that the Diggs injury is hurting them right now. I think they're going to be able to circle the wagons on that. And then offensively, I think they can be a top ten unit. And then I know you said they're two games back of the Eagles. I continue to watch this Eagles team, and they're five and zero, oh, and I get it. It does not look like last year's team, just in terms of the personnel that they've lost. I don't think the Eagles are going to be able to keep this up. The Eagles are approaching an insane run in their schedule uh, in, in the middle of the month. The Cowboys are going to have a window to win this division. I don't think that like the Eagles have slammed the door on that by any means. I agree. 
fix the passing offense, and this 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 team should work a lot better. Don't fix the passing offense. They're gonna have to fire. You have to fire McCarthy. You have to, right? If if McCarthy can't get this team to the 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 playoff bar that you've set for the third consecutive season, that's how coaches get fired. Like that's how he he did the I fire my coordinator thing to buy myself one more year, and that's great. But this is the year he bought, and if he's fumbling the bag this clearly, like the offense is markedly worse, like easily measurably worse than it was with Kellen Moore. Then you move on from him, and that's also great news for Cowboys fans. It's a win-win. Either this works, or you get rid of McCarthy, and that's better, and, and it's, it's a relief. You'll notice I haven't said at any point, like, move on from Dak Prescott, because that presentation is ludicrous. That's insane. If anybody can watch the Cowboys through the first five weeks and be like, Dak is the issue, they're outside of their minds. I have no idea what they're watching. Uh, I think the Cowboys are going to be okay, because I think the offensive fixes are easy. And I think that... that CD is, is saying the right things and Dak is saying the right things. And I think they're going to make the necessary changes. If they don't, I think the amount of heat and pressure on that failure, like if the Cowboys end the season like nine and eight, I think that you, I do not see how McCarthy keeps his job. And I think it'll be to the Cowboys long-term benefit. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying, like, I, I'm trying to debate. I like, I don't know where to even uh, respond. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, don't panic. Uh, and it's a win-win, but you're looking ahead to the 2024 season. Here's your the problem. One, Here's of your, the problem. one of your best case scenarios is they go, they, they stink this season and Mike McCarthy gets fired and it's 2024. Ben, we just finished week five. You think that's what Cowboys fans want to envision as a best case scenario right Here's now? Here's the issue. I'll tell you what the issue is. I spend the entire day on Monday preparing my like notes and my argument and i don't prepare the one liner at the top and then you spend the entire time just being like i'm gonna say bill belichick era is over and so you have these great one-liners and then i get to do the take and i realize i haven't thought of what my starting line is gonna be and and then i say they shouldn't panic and they shouldn't they really shouldn't but like i don't know maybe it's better if it's like it's a win-win for the cowboys maybe if it's better if it's like thank goodness the obvious issue is mike mccarthy and nothing else is a problem who could have seen this coming but the, the, the thing for me is like when we enter the season for the Cowboys, I think the number one worry was going to be that like Dak like was throwing a ton of picks and that uh, like, you know, the offensive line was falling apart because they're getting a little bit older and like the, the defense was going to regress and like they were going to look super messy. This team is very clearly the exact te- team they were last year with a coordinator who doesn't know what he's doing this time. Like it's very obvious. And I think that that means it's, it's very clear what the steps forward are. It's either fix it yeah. or you're gone. And I like that binary world for the Cowboys. I think that's a good world for the Cowboys to be in. Well, that that was the concern, yeah, going into the season. I mean, this was the gamble that they made, moving from Kellen Moore to Mike McCarthy and Brian Schottenheimer is going to result in an upgrade. That was the literal gamble, the, the bet that they made this offseason. Most reasonable people thought, I don't know if that bet's going to work out. I don't know how much worse it'll be, but it's probably going to be at least a little bit worse. So yeah, you're laying out the argument that the issues are fixable if they do the right things and if the people in charge, if you trust them. But I think then you would go to the next level and say, well, I don't think you trust them. I don't think I trust them. I don't think Cowboys fans trust them. So where does that really leave you? Uh, To me, they look to be a team headed to a very similar fate as the last two years, which is that they'll be a solid team. We're not going to be saying, oh, the Cowboys didn't make the playoffs or the Cowboys stink. They have too much talent for that to be the case. Uh, So I think they'll probably win double-digit games. 
But guess what? That's not the bar anymore. I mean, again, it's been 27 years since they've gotten out of the divisional round. Like this is, you have Dak Prescott and Micah Parsons and like you have some good players on this team. This should be a season where given what you did in the offseason, you expect it to get over that hump. This is what you thought would get you over that hump. And after watching that Sunday night, uh, it's hard to feel confident that that's going to be the case. So yeah, I think they're going to be okay. I think they'll be in the playoffs. Um, But if you want to panic and you're a Cowboys fan, Go ahead and panic. All right, let's take one more break. Come back and get to our final takes from the week. All right, we are back on Extra Point Taken. My take, the biggest winners of week two were the Cincinnati Bengals. And this is for- Week two? Week five. All right, see, what I write, just happened? See, see, I write my one-liners and I get the week wrong. At least you get the week right uh, on yours. All right, let's try that again. <laughs> Don't edit this. The biggest, my t- welcome back to actual Here we are, knowing what month it is. Ready, go. <laughs> the biggest winners in week five were the Cincinnati Bengals. I don't even remember. I have no idea what happened to them in week two. They lost week one. I don't know. Was that the Monday night game? Anyway. Uh, let's start with the obvious. Joe Burrow looked more like Joe Burrow in that win over the Cardinals. This is the obvious. He he navigated the pocket well. He had a nice scramble for a first down. Uh, he was making plays outside of structure. He was launching the ball downfield. I'm not telling you everything was perfect in that win. It was not perfect, but... The version of Joe Burrow that if you were a Bengals fan, you were crossing your fingers and saying, please, please, please don't just make this a lost season. Give us something. You actually saw that, I thought, in that game against the Cardinals. So there were signs of encouragement. But Ben, the bigger reason, maybe the not so obvious one, is what happened in a land far away in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on Sunday. I don't know if this is one of your takes or not, but we have to talk about this game. It's not because I wouldn't be cogent. I would just be like yelling words about players. So so the Bengals are two and three after that win. So what happened in the land far away in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where we saw maybe the stupidest loss of the season by any team with the Baltimore Ravens. The, the division front runner, Baltimore Ravens, who had a chance to improve to 4-1, and one, were in complete control of that game, lost that game to the Steelers, and end up with a 3-2 and two record. The Bengals are one game back of the Ravens. Like, how is that even a possible thing, given how we've watched both these teams every week this season? That makes no sense, yet I just looked it up. I confirmed it in the standings. That is true. So if you weren't paying attention to what happened in Pittsburgh, End of the first half. Okay, let's start with this. It's fourth and two at the Pittsburgh 23. The time is running out. You're going to kick a field goal here. The Ravens, by the way, have already dropped a touchdown at this point in the game. Oh, one? I I was, I don't like maybe they they dropped a touchdown on second and goal and then dropped a subsequent touchdown on third and goal, which means they dropped in total one touchdown. They just did it twice. (laughs) Okay, they did it twice. Uh, So the Ravens' plan was to line up but let the clock run out. Uh, let the clock go down to like three or four and then call timeout and kick the field goal. Tyler Linderbaum, the center, did not get the message. He snaps the football. Lamar Jackson is surprised. They end up not converting there. They waste three points before halftime for no reason. Ben mentioned the drops. They had seven drops in this game, according to PFF and True Media, the most by any team in a game this season. 
And as Ben mentioned, these were not little, oh, that would have been a nice, yeah, cool four-yard gain. No, no, no. These were downfield. These were touchdowns. These were by every player. Rashad Bateman, Zay Flowers, Mark Andrews, Nelson Aguilar, over and over. Like, I, I was looking at the score in, like, the middle of the third quarter going, how do they only have 10 points? I am watching them move the Shield. football and have open people on every single drive. How do they only have 10 points? Do you so understand? I would be 9-0 and on locks of the week last three weeks if the Ravens covered. I know. Do you know what I watching do, I that do game know that. was doing to yeah. me, Shield? Do you understand? <laughs> like, I, when Nelson Aguilar dropped the, the pass, which when, when Nelson Aguilar drops a pass, it's unlike any other receiver dropping a pass in the league. <laughs> For whatever reason, when Nelson drops a pass, it looks like he was trying to do it. Like he always, it always hits his hands perfectly. And then he separates his hands at the end. He throws them away from one another, like magnets that repel. It is horrible. It is revolting. When he dropped that pass, chill. I was in my friend's apartment in Phoenix. I, I, was, I was out for the weekend. I got up. I left the apartment. I walked into the hallway and then I forgot which door he, his was. And I had to go back and find it. I was seeing red for like 10 seconds. I couldn't believe it. Oh, man. We got to get the cam on you next time something like that happens. I, that would be ringer. I'm incapable content. of sitting during football games. Yeah. I sit and then two minutes later, I'm standing again. I'm walking. I'm talking. It's horrible. All right. So the Ravens did that. Uh, Ravens had three turnovers, including a bad Lamar Jackson interception while they were up 10-8 from the Pittsburgh five with four minutes left. It felt like the game was over at that point. And oh, by the way, they also had a punt block. So if you're a Bengals fan, again, you have this, the Bengals have the second hardest remaining schedule. So like they dug themselves a hole. This might not work out for them. They might not make the playoffs. Having said that, week five, your quarterback looks healthy. Your wide receiver looks as good as any wide receiver in the NFL in Jamar Chase. Your defense finally shows some juice that maybe it was lacking uh, earlier in the season. And not only that, the what I think the favorite in the division and FanDuel would say the same thing uh, gave away a game in Pittsburgh. So again, the Bengals right now two and three, Browns are two and two, Steelers and Ravens are three and two. Every team is separated by one game in the win column. If you're a Bengals fan, given the way the season has gone, you absolutely will take that, and you have to be encouraged by what happened there. All right, now I'll let you say whatever you want uh, about the Raven, anything else on that game. I feel like you just have takes bottled up that you didn't want to come out during this podcast that you need to unleash. Well, the, the, it's not like so much like uh, like takes. It's just uh, I have a, like the Ravens lost four games in the regular season last year when they had Lamar Jackson and they had a win percentage, like a win likelihood from, from ESPN's calculator of like at least 80% in the fourth quarter of all four losses. Like wow. they were just, handing these games away. And then you watch this, uh, you go in this season in the fourth quarter against the Colts, they had a win percentage of, of over 80%. They lost that, that might game. have been the second stupidest loss of the yeah. season, by Greg, the way, by any team. Yeah. Greg Rosenthal had a great tweet NFL network where he said the, the, the worst losses so far this season are the Ravens to the Colts, the Ravens to the Steelers. And that one time I picked the Patriots to beat the Cowboys. Cause like he, he was on that yeah, like, upset. I think and he that's wasn't. right. But yeah, yeah uh, the Ravens had a, a greater than eighty percent chance of winning the game in the fourth quarter against the Colts, and they had a great, a greater than uh, they had a greater than ninety percent chance in the fourth quarter of winning the game against the Steelers. All of their regular season losses have come with ludicrously low probability. Right now, some of the regular season wins, the other team has had like eighty or ninety percent at one point in the fourth quarter. Right, yeah. so the, it, it does go both ways. But the Ravens, with Lamar over the last couple of years, are not getting blown out of games. They are not getting dominated. They are in every single game and when they lose it's typically them fumbling the bag 
that leads to disproportionate frustration from the fan base, right? There's a lot of like, what does John Harbaugh do? Lamar's not clutch stuff, but only feels that way because when they lose, they lose on knucklehead stuff. The rest of us, I'm an Eagles fan, so not me, but most of the rest of us have to deal with our team like going down three scores and never getting back, right? And so it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a skewed perspective sort of a thing. I still believe that Harbaugh's like a very good end of game coach and I believe Lamar's a very good quarterback. They are sloppy right now. They're, they're injured and then they're sloppy. A lot of their execution stuff, it, it has little little hitches in it, especially offensively where it's a new system and it's, and it's a new receiver room. I wrote about the Ravens last week and I kind of said, they're doing all the right stuff. It's just not working yet. And injury's been a big part of that. Time's also a big part of that. We talked a lot about the Ravens in the preseason, Shield. And one of the things we said was this offense might, it's like start, starting, a, starting a car manual where you, we haven't, you haven't driven stick in a little bit. And the, getting that, that engine on and getting that car moving the first couple of times, like, oh, wait, and it hurts and it jerks and you don't really know how it goes. And then you settle back into it. I think they're going to be fine by November. I think the operation will be a lot smoother. Every week that we get closer to November that they lost a game, I, I feel, you know, shakier and shakier about that take. On the Bengals side of things, I will say, this is obviously the best the offense has looked. It also just is the spryest Joe Burrow has looked. They could have scored 22 yeah. points. And barely beaten the Cardinals. They could have scored 17 points and lost. Just watching Joe, this is the quickest and most comfortable he's looked all season. 100%. Um, I'm not going to count my chickens before they hatch there. Uh, just because calf injury, he's still getting, you know, therapy on the sideline every single time. And once I see him, like, you know, no no sleeve on the calf when he's sitting on the bench, you know, you see it over four weeks, I'll, I'll fully believe it. It's an easy thing to re-aggravate. Uh, get rolled up once and get, you know, try to plant once on turf and whatever. Um, but so far, I'd say uh, it, it was that was the most encouraging thing was just watching Burrow. Everything else is just, you know, uh, production Cardinals, whatever. Who cares? Just seeing him look great. Yeah, it's a week to week proposition with him. Like you said, you don't know where it's going. He's, and he's still getting hit like he was getting hit in that game. It's not like he was kept clean. But yeah, the way he was moving, I didn't think we would we would see him move uh, that well this quickly. So uh, that was an encouraging sign. The Ravens left the door open. I agree with you. The thing about the offense, last thing I'll say about this is yeah, like I expected like, like that game was not a game where I'm like, they're still getting used to, you know, Monk and like stuff was working. They were just like literally dropping the football. Like they could have had probably right. 30 points uh, in that game. So it wasn't like a get adjusted to it. It's like, what is going on here? And yeah, they just find ways uh, to do dumb stuff. I don't think it's coaching. I don't think it's like Lamar. It's just, I don't know. It, it almost feels like coincidence to me that it's not good analysis, but that's really what it feels like watching some of their losses. Here's the thing I'll say about like coincidence, because I, I largely agree with you. Drops are 100% noise. Lamar, like... I don't want to say he throws a weird ball because that's not true. Quarterbacks just generally throw different balls. And Lamar does have a little bit of an idiosyncratic uh, delivery and release. And you just have to be used to catching that, right? Like the, Mark Andrews is a great example where like Mark Andrews is good at a lot of stuff, but he also has like at least one super debilitating drop a game. And sometimes you wonder like, okay, how much of this is just the catchability of Lamar's ball versus Andrews? The fact that like other receivers keep struggling with drops, I think also like, you know, starts to lend some credence to that, where I think like you can you can argue Lamar doesn't deliver the most wide receiver friendly ball. And I think that's fair. I also think the Rashad Bateman touchdown hit him in all 10 fingers and the Nelson Aguilar touchdown hit him in all 10 fingers. Right. Yeah. And that's the sort of thing where you say, OK, this is probably just like noise. And uh, I, I'm not going to put too much uh, uh, stock into that. Yeah, I would say you're paid to catch the ball. It is the number one most important thing. Uh, figure it out how to catch a ball from this guy who is putting a ball, the ball in a place where you can catch it. All right. Take number three. What do you got, Benjamin? Shield a four and one Detroit Lions. They were they were on my just missed list. 
I, they might, that I'm so close to being able to say they're real. And here's what's holding me back. Okay, let's put it that way. That's a good, is that a good one liner? Do you feel good about that? Sure. Yeah, I like okay. that. Now let's see if what you say follows that or not. Let's see. The Detroit Lions are 4-1. They're third right now in DVOA. Uh, their one loss on the season was an overtime loss. Pick six. Jared Goff broke the streak of interceptionless throws, and they lost to Seattle in overtime, right? Uh, tough high-scoring game where the last few bounces didn't go their way. They've beaten the Chiefs. They've beaten the Falcons. They've beaten the Packers. They've beaten the Panthers. Uh, I don't think they have a... Like, those last three opponents are all, like, fine, like, whatever. And then, obviously, the Chiefs, that that win, they have a one-point win, and they get a scoop and score defensively, whatever. I, I, they haven't had a game where they've, like, walked into Buffalo and beaten the Bills, you know, walked into San Francisco, walked into Dallas and beaten them. So they haven't had that win. And that does make it a little bit tough to, like, fully put your chest into the, the Lions are good sort of a thing. Um, but in general, 4-1, and one, handling their business, only loss is a tough overtime loss. You feel nice about that. Upcoming schedule for them, by the way. Uh, they get the Buccaneers this week. They're at Baltimore. That's one that you circle. Oh, Lions, Lions, Baltimore. It's going nice to be a one. fun football. Little Mike McDonald against Ben Johnson. Ah, I'm excited. All right. Uh, <laughs> then they get the Raiders at the Chargers. Uh, and we'll go through the rest of the schedule. Bears, Packers, Saints, Bears, Broncos, Vikings, Cowboys, Vikings. It's not a tough schedule the rest of the way for, for, for the Lions. And that brings me to my next point on the I want to fully buy in on the Lions. We know that Jared Goff is a lot worse on the road than he is at home, right? This is just a, a, a function of playing in the dome for a quarterback who has some small hands and, and struggles at times with weather. It's also just a function of, of home fields in general, but it affects Goff more. Last season, uh, 23 touchdowns to three interceptions at home, six touchdowns to four interceptions on the road. Uh, he had a quarterback rating of 109.3 on the, at home, 87.4 on the road for as much stock as you put into those things. Adjusted yards per attempt, 8.77 uh, to 7.11. Those numbers from A to Z Sports and Pro Football Reference. Not as successful on the road, especially true when he has to play in open air stadiums in the cold weather. Light schedule coming up, right? Not a hard schedule rest of the season. It is very important that the Lions don't drop games because if the Lions want to make a postseason run, which is something the Detroit fans maybe haven't seen in a while, it would be nice to get to play a couple of those games at home, right? You're obviously dealing with the 5-0 Eagles and the 5-0 Niners right now. But you don't know if those teams are going to drop games. You don't know if Hurts is going to be gone for a week, a month or McCaffrey is going to be gone for a month in San Francisco and you're going to be able to catch up to those guys. It would be so, so, so great for the Lions to be positioned for not just a top three seed, but potentially like a top two seed when we start to get the January football because you might be able to get a second game in your home stadium. A huge, huge deal for Jared Goff. So you're worried, like Goff in September is kind of always a trick. Golf got early early season golf is always bait and he looks incredible but you, you have to calm yourself down I was, like Steven Ruiz I was talking with Steven yesterday and, and like golf right now is like 23% big time throw percentage or something like that's not gonna keep going <laughs> you have to you know you have to look at him through a, a season-wide lens so that's the second thing I'm worried about the third thing is now uh like I said the third overall in DVOA fourth offense uh third defense we think third defense is going to stay. We think that's going to hang. They're third in defensive DVOA right now. Third really? in defensive DVOA. No, Aiden Hutchinson leads the league in pressures, which I'll tell you, man. I thought Hutch, like season uh, rookie season, I was like, all right, this guy's playing pretty well, but like I, I don't know if he's ever like a long term high sack guy. I saw him in camp in year two. He looked a lot different. I'm watching him play right now. He looks a lot different. He just taken multiple steps, big sophomore leap uh, for Aiden Hutchinson. So you have kind of a, a star pass rusher there, and then you're getting. 
you know, great play out of Brian Branch. You're getting great play out of Derek Barnes, Alex Anzalone. You're getting great play out of Lee McNeil. Uh, 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 Jerry Jacobs is making plays, right? He's been a longtime believer at starting corner for you. You signed Cam Sutton. He's playing excellent for you. Kirby Joseph, but you have pieces. It feels really thin. I mean, they, 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 they were banking a lot on Emmanuel Mosley to be corner two for them. He gets out in the field in week five, tears an ACL, a heartbreaking stuff for Mosley who's coming off of a torn ACL. So now they're, they're, they're thin outside corner. They're playing Ify Melifonwu, who's long been like a, a criticized player and a, and a questioned player and a guy they've struggled to get in the field. They're playing him at like a, like a safety nickel outside corner spot. Like he's lined up in different places. He's making impact stuff. And that feels good. It also feels thin. And I, I don't know how long that can be sustained. Jamison Williams is supposed to come back. This was your top 15 pick at wide receiver. They don't really get him on the field. And, and, and he's had drop problems. He's had injury problems. So you're still living on the Amon Ross, St. Brown, and Josh Reynolds world. Feels thin. Like, uh, I, I, I started moving to the offensive side of the ball. They were supposed to focus on the defense. They've done such a good job homebrewing personnel, developing their guys. And they're now in a system where Aaron Glenn's got this thing humming. I don't know if they're really that good of a defense. And I want to see if they can continue to get this play to young players or potentially add some guys at the deadline. I think a star would be so beneficial to this team on either side of the ball. Just a January winner, a guy you think you can line up and dominate for you for four quarters. Defensively at corner, think like think about the Pats or Tan sort of a move. Offensively at wide receiver, think about the Devontae Adams sort of a move. Getting that player would be huge for me in believing this Lions team. Right now, I'm so, so, so close. But... Thin roster on defense, where I think they're overperforming. Jared Goff in the, in the fall is the sort of thing that has me worried. They can have really, really strong October, November, set up with a great record, maybe out of star. I feel a lot better. Lions versus Cowboys tomorrow in Detroit. Pick them. Who do you got? Oh, D- uh, Detroit. Detroit comfortably. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, okay. In, in, Detroit, right. in Detroit, for sure. Yeah. In okay. Dallas, I don't know. It's still dumb, maybe. I'm a believer. Listen, I don't know if they're, I'm not telling you they're going to win the Super Bowl, but like well-coached team, talented team, good up front on both sides of the ball. All these things that translate to being a very, I mean, they're four and one. They've outscored their last three opponents by 46 points. You mentioned the thing about, well, you know, like the level of competition, but there is kind of a history that a lot of times when you face other good teams, it ends up being a coin flip game. Are you blowing out the bad teams? Yes, they are blowing out the bad teams pretty consistently. Like, I didn't even think that was an A-plus game from the Lions. And they were up, what, 28-7 at halftime. It's just like turnover, turnover, turnover. We're going to turn every one of these into touchdowns with really creative uh, play calls from Ben. By the way, I think Ben Johnson should get to be, you know, I make fun of the football hipster society. I feel like the normies like myself, we should get Ben Johnson. What do you think? Do we need to do a draft or something? Normies versus hipsters? And Why like, would the normies gets- get him? I don't know. He he's in the mainstream now. I feel like everybody's like, oh, he, you're he, saying he's he's, yeah, he's he's popular. Oh yeah, hundred percent. No, he's yeah. been there. Yeah, Shield, Ben been Johnson there. had three head coaching interviews last year. <laughs> you can't just now claim the normies. But are getting he also him. had one. He also did just have like one season of really like yeah. we've talked about this before. Sometimes a coordinator, everyone loves him one year, and then the next year it's like, oh man, what what happened to that guy? Like he can't even get a job. We we see that in the league. So you know the normies just wanted to see a little bigger body of work. Uh, I love watching Ben Johnson's offense. Every single week, I go, ooh, he's coming up with stuff to put his players in positions to succeed. It's such a stark contrast to some of the, I don't know, bad is too mean. Some of the uh, more un, uh, what's the word? All right, bad, bad offensive coordinator. <laughs> like, compare them to Ben Johnson. Defense, I would say uh, better than last year. 
I don't think it's going to be a great unit when the dust settles by the end of the season. I think they'll settle somewhere in that mediocre range, and I think that's okay. Top eight offense, 16th defense, guess what? You're winning the division. You might host a playoff game. You've had your best season as a Lions fan uh, maybe in your lifetime. What really impressed me about this win, they're without Amon Ross St. Brown. They're without Jameer Gibbs. They're without Brian Branch in this game. Like, think of all the teams that are using injuries as an excuse. This well, we played but like they they lost two of their, you know, what? Maybe they're two of their three best uh offensive players, offensive skill players. I'm on Ross St. Brown is such a big percentage of what they do uh offensively and you wouldn't have even known it. They scored six touchdowns. They scored touchdowns on four of their first five possessions. So, uh I think that team's really well coached. Uh I like them a lot. I believe in them. Uh, we'll see where they rank in kind of the NFC hierarchy, but I'm pretty much right there with you with the Lions. Yeah, that that was one it's, I had on my extended list. I'm like, all right, I can I'll get be yeah. able to get to this another time. So I'm glad here's you the thing. brought them up. I came into the pod fully expecting to be like, time to dance on the Lions takes. Hello, it's 2021 Ben. I believe in Dan Campbell checking in. Hello, it's offseason Ben Johnson piece Ben checking in. <laughs> we did it, baby. We're here, my boys. And then I went through and checked out some of the stuff and I was like, all right. We might do that in a month. We're not going to do it yet. It's, it, it's so much of this is working the way they intended it to work offensively and defensively, schematically, personnel wise. Like so much of it, it feels intuitive. And so you want to say, all right, this train just keeps on chugging. But it, it's it's very hard to, again, like, like it, it goes back to stars for me. When I start talking about January football, I'm always talking about stars. And right now, star wise, it's a Monroe St. Brown who you love. And like, like, such a good player, so good in his role, delightful. After that, you're asking second-year pass rusher to be your star on that side of the ball, right? Which is just, he's a young player. He leads the league in pressures right now. He's playing great, but that's that, it's, that's not a, as known of a commodity. You're asking Sam Laporta to be a really high, like, carry guy for you. Or not high carry, but, like, carry a lot of weight. Uh, rookie tight end, you know. Penny Sewell's a star at left tackle. That's a great spot to have a star. But in January, you like to have that at, at positions where the ball actually goes. It feels like they, if they had one or two more big umps, big swings, I'd really, really, really be willing to buy this team. I hope they're a, an aggressive deadline buyer. I really do. Yeah, I I, uh, I agree with that. Next next week, you know, Ben, we'll be six weeks into the season. Our friend Nate Tice used to do a, a piece. I don't know if he's going to do them again. Like the 30s, he likes looking at stuff. A third. Now that we have an 18-week season, you look every third. And so next week, if you want to bring some of that, hey, uh, player X is the MVP. This is the coach of the year, a third into the season. I'll probably sprinkle, like I might sprinkle in a little. Who knows? Dan Campbell, yeah. coach of the year through six weeks. I don't know. Could be. We'll pro- coach of the year. I mean, he deserves coach of the year just for overall body of work. I said maybe. Right? Yeah. I said maybe. Yeah. I didn't say definitely. I'm throwing, you know, you I'm, I'm not going to give away. I'm not going to give away my week six takes in week five. Come on. Yeah. That's not what we I do. I will here. say right. I, um, I, I like to do like every, every quarter of the season, every month I do just like, uh, I watched these guys on film and they made me happy. I'm very impressed with how they're playing. I'm not going to rank them or say anything else besides that list. And Goff is my quarterback for that list because, I mean, again, you can't get too far over your skis with September Goff, but man, right. September Goff is shredding it. Holy smokes, he's playing some ball. They look good. Like in the same way that I was saying, like the Packers, you know, completions feel like a surprise. The Lions, it's almost like an incompletion feels like a surprise. You just expect somebody to be wide open, him putting the ball where it's supposed to be. Now, they, when it gets out of structure, uh, there's issues there, but um, that doesn't happen a lot with that offense. Very, uh, very well schemed. All right, let's finish with this extra point. This offseason, Ben, will be defined 
by which teams move on from their quarterback mistakes and how they move on from their quarterback mistakes. Here's what I mean. I was looking at the worst teams in the NFL, Broncos. One in four right now. A complete embarrassment. They're somehow worse yeah. with Sean Payton. We almost took the Broncos as mm. the extra point well, taken team, and we grabbed the Packers, and that's better. Not by much, but it's definitely better. That reminds me to uh, email our editors and um, see if they can take my piece about bold predictions for 2023 off the internet. Ooh, let's uh, go find it. Not related to that uh, by any means. All right, so you have the Broncos. Russell Wilson is not going to be the Broncos quarterback in 2024. That is not happening. How do they move on from him? I mean, they might have a top five pick here. Uh, do they just have to release him? Is there some creative way where they can, you know, attach draft capital to Russell Wilson and move him? I don't know. They're probably just going to have to release him. So that's one, Russell Wilson. The Giants, Ben, the Giants might be the worst team in the NFL. They're last in point differential. They're one in four. They paid Daniel Jones this contract. What do they do if they are in position to draft a quarterback in the top three of this year's draft? What happens to Daniel? Does anyone, is there a market? Let me ask you this. One year, $36 million, Daniel Jones. Does anyone trade for that? Falcons? <laughs> I love every, every quarterback I'm trying to unload. You're just going Falcons. My Falcons. Don't do your boy like that. That's no, nice. I shouldn't. Right. But I would see Arthur Smith looking at <laughs> big, fast boy Daniel Jones and going, I can make a triple option offense out of that. Can you see it? I can see it. I could kind of see that working out well. Yes. Yeah, so that's another one. Cardinals, one and four. They were this cute little story early on. Now they're tied for the second worst record in the NFL. Kyler Murray, who knows when he'll be back, if he'll be back. They're another team that could be moving on at quarterback. And then... This guy's not as much of a, like a mistake. I don't even know if mistake is the right word because like I said, sometimes you take a swing in the first round and you miss. But the Bears, right now, Ben, I went to Tankathon. You look at Tankathon, where do you get your first round draft order in the, in the season? You, uh, you, tankathon. You look at, tankathon's okay, you the, the tankathon. network spot for all NFL That's draft That's the go-to? Oh, and then Pro you. Sports Given... Transactions is where you get future draft picks. Great spot there. And then for oh, scouting reports, like you, you go to Ben Sol X Brain. You don't go anywhere else. Okay. There you go. I like that. Uh, so Tankathon informs me that the Bears, if the season ended today, would have the first and second picks in the NFL draft. Justin Fields. What happens to Justin Fields? Uh, now, listen, the Bears offense has played well the last two weeks. Don't want to take that away from them. They're coming off of a big Thursday night win. What happens with Justin Fields after the season if the Bears draft a quarterback? What do you got? Is there a market? Don't yeah, Falcons? 100%. Listen, I'm doing, the, I'm doing the play sheet on Justin Fields this week, and I'll tell you, Sheil, as a man who promised he would not let himself get roped back in, I might be getting roped back in okay, a little bit. Right. Oh, oh, he's so good. It's just he's also bad. He's very bad. But. He's so good, but he's also very bad. There you go. Check out the play sheet for that. So I think that this is going to be interesting to me. All these teams, you know, some of them, the Broncos, the Cardinals, we thought, all right, there's a pretty good chance they're going to be looking for a quarterback at the end of the season. But now you throw a team like the Giants in there. You maybe throw a team like the Bears in there. And it's going to be all these teams saying, how do we do we move on from some of these guys to draft a quarterback? And if that happens, what is kind of the, do the domino effect with guys like Justin Fields, Daniel Jones, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, all being available on the market. So that's just a look ahead after five weeks. Some of the worst teams, uh, something that struck me that uh, this could be an interesting offseason once again for quarterback movement. It's always an, it's always interesting offseason for quarterback is, movement. But th this is a look yeah. ahead at some of the names to keep yeah. an eye on. I will say, 
given the flashes that we've seen from Mac Jones, Justin Fields, and Daniel Jones over the course of their careers. Oh, I didn't I'm, even mention Mac Jones. Yeah, it's another yeah, one. Yeah, which Mac is Mac's the one to me that that is is pretty interesting. Uh I'm I'll say this. Here's my here's my take with confidence. Okay. One of the quarterbacks who gets moved this offseason will find good success, not like Super Bowl success, but good success at their second home with a different team. Because you can build an offense at all three of those cats, right? It's not like Zach Wilson where it's like, I don't know what, what we're doing here. Like all of those dudes, there's there's ways to get the plane off the ground. One of them's going to land in a good spot with good weapons and a good OC, and it's going to happen. Uh, and so someone someone's moving and, and finding success somewhere else. It's going to be Justin Fields. Who God, said that? Loved, wasn't me. I, wasn't me. I love Daniel Jones to the Falcons. That should have just been my take. I feel like I stole a take. You shouldn't have revealed that. You should have saved that take. for now. That, that would be Daniel Jones there. Big, uh, fast uh, boy. On my on rollouts, mm. just running around, just that's doing kind of, some Daniel Jones things. That's kind of interesting to me. Daniel Jones on the Falcons, one year, thirty-six million. Think about it, Arthur. Uh, you know, if you guys hadn't thought about that yet, it might be something you want to explore. All right, that'll wrap it up for this week's extra point taken. Thank you to Ben Solak. Thank you to Isaiah Blakely for pinch producing for us. Thank you to Eduardo Ocampo for the video production. You can find those on the Ringer NFL feed, on Solax TikTok, on my Instagram, wherever else. Uh, additional production supervision by Connor Nevins and Arjuna Ramgopal. The next episode will be Nora and Steven with Dual Threat. And then Solak and I will be back on Friday. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone, and have a great week.